Thankful to have you with us this morning, and I'm going to again ask the true teacher, the Spirit of God, to work in our hearts. Father, we thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for the Proverbs that says you delight in the prayers of your children. They, they bring delight to your heart. So may we, your true people, pray in a godly way, pray urgently, pray for the glory of God. And so this morning, as we look at this crucial, important theme woven throughout scriptures, but emphasized here in this most important sermon delivered by our Lord Jesus Christ. Take the word of God and make it fall upon our hearts. Give us humility, holiness, godliness. Keep us from pride, from arrogance of thinking somehow to display our prayer life before people simply for the purpose of pride. Help us to be a people who pray both publicly and in particularly privately, that we call upon the living God and we know what it is like in desperate times in our lives. To know that when we call upon you, you hear and answer the prayers of your children, sometimes like Paul who requested three times to have that thorn in the flesh taken away, and you know better when to say no, that your grace is sufficient. So we thank you that you hear the prayers of your children. You're a whole lot wiser than we are. And when, Lord, sometimes we don't know how to pray Rightly, we know, we know the general principles from your word, but sometimes we look at a situation and we're not sure and we're thankful for the truth of Romans 8, that the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. As one has said, he fixes our prayers on the way up. So as we consider prayer, true prayer, godly prayer, what it should look like and what it should not look like, Teach us to pray, O Lord, as your disciples requested when they saw you praying. Teach us to pray for the glory of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was stunned that night. Lord brought an entire NFL game to halt. Players kneeling around this healthy young NFL player that suddenly went into cardiac arrest. Not sure whether he was going to live or perish. I watched the players gather around him from both teams and, and knelt. I listened to commentators who struggled what to say. And one in particular really stood out to me. He goes, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to do except for to pray, except for to pray. Now, I, I don't know 
their hearts. I don't, I don't, I'm not there to, to try and say I, I know uh, whether their prayers are, weren't heard. I prayed for that, that young man as well. There are times in our lives when a crisis comes in and the Lord drives me in a greater measure to desperate dependence upon him. And I realize my own inability to deal with spiritual issues apart from God working in grace. And some of those times it just, how inadequate I am in and of myself and the truths of John 15 come back to me. Apart from me, you can do nothing unless we abide in the vine and he abides in us. His words abide in us. But it ought to not only be in a crisis, prayer, regular, persistent prayer ought to be a regular part of our lives. We were working through on Wednesday evening, um, and we were looking at uh, the Great Awakening and the preachers there, and um, they were highlighting uh, some of the men of the past, and they came across J. Hudson Taylor. It stopped me in my tracks. It challenged me in my personal prayer life. J. Hudson Taylor in China got up early every morning by candlelight, read his Bible, and prayed for every single missionary in China Inland Mission by name. By name. It has challenged my prayer life. Sometimes I'm praying the same kind of thing over and over. And am, am I, do I really believe that God hears and answers prayer? Why do I keep praying these things over and over and over again? And then I go to some of the parables, what Jesus said. <laughs> you keep on praying. You keep on praying. And so I challenge myself to pray every morning, to read the Bible when I get up, and particularly to pray for all the elders, all their wives, their children, every deacon, his wife, his children, by name. And that takes some time. Now, I don't say that to bring praise to myself. Paul talked about praying for others, and I, I just, how challenging that is to do that. By the time I get up, by the time I read scriptures, by the time I pray all these things, and then I pray for you, I got a list of other things that I pray for, and that's, that's, that's several hours, and then I go try and swim and, and come back and pray some more. That's a significant chunk of my day, and I go, Am I doing the right thing? And then I look at Martin Luther. 
I remember his father, confessor, goes, he, w- he would pray, come to him and confess his sins and everything for four to five hours, and he would say to Luther, Luther, don't you have anything serious to confess? <laughs> As we grow in grace, a lot of the external stuff falls off. But oh, the heart, the motives, the thoughts the failure to esteem others as more important than myself. So we, we come now in this Sermon on the Mount about true righteousness, and we talked about the righteousness here is not positional righteousness. If there's positional righteousness and you have been forgiven of your sin, then here's what has happened. The Savior has come. Christ has come. He's paid the penalty. He has provided perfect righteousness that we could never achieve in and of ourselves. And that righteousness is imputed. It is put to the bankrupt position of everyone who in simple faith and trust comes to Jesus Christ and repents of their sin and recognizes, I can't save myself. I need a Savior And God will save you. And he puts in your bankrupt account and mine the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so I submit to you this morning that if you are in Christ, you are no better in your position a million years from now than you are right now. You are perfect in your position in the sight of God, and your sins are forgiven. But, oh, positional righteousness We're still working on practical righteousness. There's the standard. It doesn't change God's standard of what is right, but we're striving in a greater measure. We should be increasing in our holiness. It's called progressive sanctification. I'm putting off sin. I'm engaging in mind renewal. I'm putting on holiness, and it takes a lifetime, and I'll I'll, I'll never be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect in heaven in my practical righteousness, but we should be, the direction of our life should be that we can see. I so appreciate and repeat to myself the words of John Newton. I know, I know I'm not what I ought to be. Now, but I'm so thankful I'm not what I used to be. And I am particularly thankful that I am not what I one day will be perfect before God with the saints of all the ages, never having another sinful thought, another sinful motive, another sinful disagreement with anybody. There'll be perfect harmony there. And so we press on. We press on. And... We want to be quick to repent of sinful thoughts, sinful motives, of prayerlessness, of selfishness, and and say, oh, Lord, bring me into greater conformity to the image of your own dear Son. Help Help me to hate sin in my life. Help me to love righteousness. Help me to be a better servant. Help me to love my wife more fully as Christ has loved the church. And so we press on. We press on. 
prayer, where would we be without that throne of grace and the assurance that God hears the prayers of his people? So, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we come to Matthew chapter 6, and we have looked at the key truth in 6.1, namely, for watching out for the right motive. I'm looking for one of my solas here. Somebody understands what I'm doing. The principle is this. We have looked at 548. You must be perfect. Teleos there doesn't mean maturity. It truly means perfect because of the modifier there as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we're pressing on towards that. And now our Lord continues, but this, this teaching is both to challenge an unbeliever about prayer and to challenge true believers about prayer. So the principle there is beware, watch out, here's a caveat, of practicing your righteousness. This is not righteousness to get you into heaven. This is practical righteousness as a result of God taking out the heart of stone, putting in a heart of flesh, and we begin to respond to him, and we begin to have a desire to be conformed to Jesus Christ. That's practical righteousness. But be careful about doing it before other people in order to be seen by them. Or you'll have a reward for doing it. It's other people's praise, but you won't have it. That, that's all you'll have. You won't have any eternal praise. And we looked about giving in verses 2 through 4. And I pointed out to you that almsgiving, uh, giving to the, to the poor, is far more than simply seeing a homeless person standing on the corner and destitute and giving them something. It, we, we looked at Dorcas and all that she was doing. Uh, we looked at the contribution for the saints down in Jerusalem. Uh, both a famine had come as well as persecution for a Jewish person to believe upon Christ in the first century in Jerusalem. Your family's probably going to disown you. And furthermore, you're going you're gonna to experience a hole in your pocket financially because a lot of people are going to cut you off in business. So what do they do? They're, Paul is taking a collection for the saints down. And that's also the same word there, almsgiving or giving to the poor. And then I skipped this section and I went down to verses 16 through 18 and talked about fasting. There, I'm not saying there are no medical benefits to fasting, um, but that's not the emphasis in Scripture. The emphasis in fasting is you, you do not eat for a period of time, and during that time, it will help you be more attentive to a spiritual purpose. Um, 
I took a class this week with Dylan, and uh, it was Eastern time, 5 to 9, every night this week, and then again on Saturday morning. So I noticed, you know, we're, we're both sitting in there. He pulled it up on Zoom, and we're uh, towards the end. We're trying to keep each other <laughs> awake and alert. And uh, he went back, and he, he was going to get something to eat. And he goes, no, I can't do that because all my oxygen is going to be down here, and we have a hard enough time staying awake anyway. So there, there is... When you abstain from food, there is a physical, but the the main point is spiritually, is spiritually. And later on, we see in the manuscripts that later on, some of the scribes assigned a meritorious value to fasting. You'll see that this kind, Lord, how come we couldn't cast out the demons? And it says this kind comes not out by prayer, but later manuscripts added fasting because it's almost as if that that makes your prayers even better. Look, your prayers are heard through your great high priest, Jesus Christ, and fasting does not make your prayer any better. Now, it may give you the ability to be attentive uh, for a short time period that normally you would give to eating. So Jesus talks uh, uh, about that, and don't do it in hypocrisy. Don't do people to say, hey, you know what I did today, or you're, you're walking around gloomy. You know, look, if you're out of energy and you can't function spiritually because you didn't eat, maybe it'd be a wise thing to go, go get something in your, in your stomach. And let me say this regarding that area on fasting. There are no imperatives in the New Testament for people to fast. We can see a pattern and practice uh, in the early church, but there are no imperatives. So there it is, giving and fasting. And right in the center of all of this is this very extended, important section on prayer. And the principle there that's going to govern the rest of this chapter, is how not to practice your righteousness, how not to do the right thing, but do it in a wrong way with the wrong motives. And here's the right way to do it. And in the midst of that will be the Lord's Prayer. Now, since I took one week to cover those two, I am going to take two weeks to cover uh, this section on the Lord's Prayer. I know I've taught through it. Um, I think it was, I looked at my notes, it was four years ago. But I was challenged again. I set up my sermon aside and I worked back through here. And I said, oh, Lord, help me to pray better. Help me to pray better. And uh, so I needed this. And uh, I'm, I'm trusting that the Lord will use it in all of our lives as well. Now notice also here in this chapter of the three things that are mentioned, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, the prayer is the centerpiece. You have verses 2, 3, and 4, almsgiving, 16, 17, 18, fasting. But look how much is given to prayer, 5 through 14. And this instruction here on prayer. So we, we, we start with the admonition against the wrong motive for prayer. There's... there's uh, 
wonderful collection of articles. It's turned into a small paperback book. Um, R.C. Sproul does the first one. John MacArthur does a second one, and and reform folks are right in there as well. But in the first one, it asked um, if God already knows what you need and what you're going to say, so why pray? Why pray? He already knows it. <laughs> it's like, why give out the gospel if God's going to save people and elect them? Because that's the means that he has, he has given to save people. So why pray? I would say the first reason is because God commands it. As a matter of fact, verse 9 that, that's not an option. Pray. It's a present imperative. Go on praying and pray in this manner. So one of the reasons we ought to pray is because God has commanded. But secondly, God makes it clear that it's also for our good to pray and for the benefit of others. So when you pray, it is assumed that you pray. Tim rightly pointed out, it's not if you pray. It's when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites. In other words, I'm pointing to myself and look how spiritual I am. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received, that verb epekel means that, that they've received in full, full payment. It's used in the papyri of a transaction and and person received in full what they uh, uh, paid for. Well, well, you got it. You, you got it right here upon planet Earth, but you'll have nothing uh, eternal. They have received in full their reward. So what's the counter to that? When you pray, go into room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, let me back up. The clear teaching here is that all of us should have some private times in prayer. You can pray driving down the road. I wouldn't close your eyes if I were you. But you can pray driving down the road. I, I try and pray when I swim in the mornings, but it's, it's hard for me to stay uh, focused when I'm, when I'm doing that. Um, it's easier now I'm doing a little bit on the exercise bike to try and strengthen my legs as well. That's a little bit easier, but there's all kind of distractions. So the greatest times for me in prayer is when I don't get on my knees anymore. It's too hard to get up. My knees hurt, part of getting old. Um, but I go privately. And sometimes I don't feel like praying when I get in there. It's almost... Uh, and I have to remind myself, I have to review in my mind what I am doing, that God in heaven is really hearing my prayer, that what I'm not doing is just senseless. Some just call prayer. Remember, David said, others are, are saying about me there, I think it's Psalm 4, 
you know, God doesn't hear his prayer. And he says, oh, yes, he does. And so, Lord, uh, sometimes maybe I'm a little cold, and so I have to say, Psalm 66, 18, if I regard, if I look at, if I consider sin in my life, supply, and don't confess it, then he will not hear me. But David says, I, but he does hear me. So I may examine myself at times and say, is, is, do I have any hindrances uh, in my refusal in my life to repent of sin or something like that? But then as I start to pray, Sometimes it's hard to stop. It's hard to stop. And I look at all, all the needs on, on those lists that I have, and I, I just say, oh, Lord, would you work in grace and mercy, not only in my heart, but in my family's heart, in our church life heart, and then I, I see houses going up all, all around us, and uh, I... I, I am reminded the fields are white in the harvest, and then I hear those words from our Lord. Lord, he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. Would you do that? Would you do that? So there is a place for private prayer. And then secondly... He talks about religious hypocrisy, and he is in particular talking about Jewish leaders in the first century. Not all, not all. We don't want to say every Pharisee was a hypocrite. Think of Nicodemus, and who came to Jesus by night. There was some night in his heart, darkness in his heart that the Lord dispelled. But when you pray, Secondly, again, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. We have that expression, teaching by our Lord, and, you know, the Pharisee came and he said, thank you, Lord, I'm not like others. I had to do a, a funeral one time, and I didn't know the woman, and I asked family, to help me out here. I, I, I was willing to do it, but I didn't know her, and she didn't go to church, and they gave me her journal. And I would read in her journal, she would actually have statements in there, thank you, Lord, I'm not like other people. And I, I, all I could do was preach that funeral and hold out the gospel, give some good memories that the family had uh, about her. So there's a Pharisee, he's, he's drawing attention, he's, and, and here's how I pray. I'm thankful for who I am, and I'm thankful for my pride, and I'm thankful that I can self-justify myself. And then, remember what a publican was, a tax collector, despised by the people? And he came along, and he's doing this, and he says, it's often translated, be merciful to me, but it's actually the verb, be propitious to me. Be propitious. I need propitiation. I need atonement for the wrath of God against my sin. And what's the point? The point is that man went down justified, not the other one. So, 
Truly I say to you, they have received again in full their reward. The, the Amadah or Shemona Eshra, Shemona, uh, Shemona is eight, Eshra is ten, so it stands for the 18 benedictions. It's the Amad in Hebrew means to stand. So the Amadah is standing. Generally, they would stand. And watch how good this prayer has great theology until I get down to a certain part. So, Baruch Atah, Adonai, Elohei, etc., God of our ancestors, Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, and some would put in there uh, the women of old, the great and mighty Gabor, the awesome God, God Most High, who bestows loving kindness and goodness and creates everything, who remembers the good deeds of the patriarchs, and who will lovingly, watch this, don't miss this, who will lovingly bring a what? A redeemer, a goel. You, you should be thinking, what book with a goel? Ruth, to their children's children, for the sake of his name, king, helper, redeemer, and shield. Blessed are you, Adonai, shield of Abraham. And, and I read that prayer. It's a great prayer until you come down to the Redeemer. They have rejected the Mashiach, the Messiah, the one who has come. So how do you deal with a person like that? Well, you can't give them John 3.16. They don't believe in the New Testament. And so what you do, you go to what uh, uh, the Messianic Jew that was instructing the course for uh, this week and I, I repeat it right at the end of Sunday school, but I was, I was stunned. He grew up in, uh, was born in Siberia, in Russia. How orthodox was his grandfather? His grandfather memorized Tanakh in its entirety by the time he was 18. You know what Tanakh is? It's Torah, Nevi'im, Kedovim. It's the Jewish term for the Old Testament scriptures. He memorized the entire Old Testament scriptures by the time he was 18. I, I, was, I was stunned. You got to eat, breathe, live Torah to be able to do that, and yet to still be an unbeliever and look forward to. So he was teaching us how to go to the first Advent prophecy, start in Genesis 3.15, work right down through the scriptures, and point them to Jesus Christ. So he he was, I think, uh, 13, and through chosen ministries, they eventually came to New York, heard the gospel, believed. And you know what his family did? You're out of here. You're out of here. So when we read this prayer, we should have a compassion toward people who know so much of the Old Testament, and yet their heart is still, is still darkened. And so here's, you know, usually if you go to the, the Wailing Wall, they have separate parts for women and for men. And usually the tradition is to put your hand over your face and they're, they're doing the same one. They're praying for the Redeemer to come, for the Redeemer to come. Uh, a couple of shots we took it uh, when we were there. I don't recall which trip when we were at the Western Wall. They put in their tefillah, the prayer. Uh, uh, with the corners on it, and, and they're praying. 
not necessarily all to be seen by others, but they got the wrong motive. They're, they're praying to a, to a God who has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. And when I saw that, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So I come back to this, to this text here. Not all, not all stand and try and have a show, but unless they have embraced the Savior, uh, God has already answered that prayer in sending the Goel, the, the Redeemer. So we look at then the uh, instruction for the right motive uh, in prayer. Again, when you pray, not if, when you go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he talks about uh, hypocrisy in general. He talks about religious hypocrisy. Now he's going to talk about the goyim or the ethnicoi, the, you know, the Bible makes two divisions, um, Jew and Gentile. So now we're going to talk about Gentiles. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. So that word empty phrases, it's, it's a word that kind of sounds, batalagao, you could hear, ba 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 just keep doing it over and over, repetitious, um, kind of a mantra, and uh, many words. That's why you're going to be heard. I just, I just put, um, this is not against public prayer, both of these in, in private. There are admonitions for public prayer. Why do we have a pastoral prayer on Sunday morning? It's right there, First Timothy 2. It instructs us there. And so I went to the book of Acts in particular, and I was thinking about public prayer, and I just read right through from the beginning to the end, and I jotted down passages that deal with public prayer, particularly Acts 4.23. When they were released, what did they do? They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Mm, you're, not, you're not proclaiming this anymore. And when they heard it, what did they do? They lifted their voices together to God and said. This is a key passage. So this is not against public prayer, but it's an admonition not to do simply repetitious praying. What do you think of when you, when you think about that? Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's one of the remarkable passages in the Old Testament. We know the confrontation there between Elijah and the false prophets. And um, verse 26, they took the bull that was given them, they prepared it, called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O oh, Baal, answer us. Well, there's no answer. So with a little sanctified 
sarcasm. Um, Elijah says, And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Well, maybe, maybe cry a little bit louder. Uh, maybe he's, he's uh, meditating. Maybe he's using the bathroom, and he can't hear you. And uh, maybe he's asleep. He needs a, he needs a nap. Wake, wake him up. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And we have the privilege of calling upon the living God, whom I cannot see yet with the visible eye, but I see him through the eye of faith. We walk not by sight, but by faith. And then, I, I won't Turn there for Acts 19.34. Remember what happened when Paul came to Ephesus and uh, he started uh, preaching and um, great is Artemis, uh, the Latin is Diana, uh, God of the Ephesians. And so um, people were believing upon him and it was cutting into the profit of the silversmiths because people aren't going to buy their little idols anymore. And so they got together and they uh, got a ruckus going. And for two hours, people were crying out. And I just thought of it. And it's not merely, you know, you see a sporting event and it's international and the uh, United States is doing well and you'll see people on the stand starts chanting, USA, USA, USA. But it doesn't last that long. Here's for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours over and over again. What are you doing to our gods? So that, that repetitious, simple, mindless praying, sometimes they think it's, it's meritorious. People believe this stuff. And when I read this, it reminds me and motivates me not only to to speak with boldness and clarity regarding the gospel, but what a privilege it is to have a God who hears and answers prayer. The most famous chant in the world is the compassionate Buddha. Now, I'm just going to read the translation, so I won't, I won't butcher this in Sanskrit. It, it means, Hail to the jewel in the lotus. It's the mantra of the Buddha of compassion, known by the Chinese as Goddess Kuan Yin. The mantra calms fears, soothes concerns, and heals broken hearts. Just try that. Just do it. Keep doing it over and over again and see when you're in a crisis if that, if that seals your broken heart. It's not going to work. How about the money mantra? And I won't try and pronounce that one either. It's a prayer to the earth goddess Vasudhara, and the chant should be repeated how many times? A hundred and eight times in order to be blessed by deities who will shower them with abundance. That's pagan praying. How about, how about this one? Uh, this, this mantra, I bow to Shiva, the supreme deity of transformation, who represents the truest, highest self. I honor the divinity within myself as a reminder that there is a divine energy in everyone and that each person should be treated as if they are divine. I, I read those, and I'm sad in my heart at the darkness, 
the blindness. I, I go home on Friday is a, is a holy day uh, for Muslims, and, and there it is, right out there by my house, and I pass it. And in the summer, when their windows are opening, there, I mean, that, that parking lot is packed with people. What are they doing? They're out there, they're, they're praying. And I know that they are deceived. They, they really believe that what they're doing is heard, but there is nobody there to hear them. Oh, God hears what they're saying, but they're not praying to the true God of heaven above. Now, I am not going to say that God never hears the prayers of an unbeliever. Re- remember of when uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah and um, said Ishmael was born and there was conflict and so drive Ishmael uh, out there and she's out there with her son thinking that she's going to die and, and she's crying out and God heard her. God heard her and answered her. But that is not the norm in Scripture. One thing you can be sure of, God will hear the prayer of every person that in true condition of heart says, Oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Would you save me? Would you forgive my sin? God hears and answers every one of those prayers through the blood of Jesus Christ. But this, this kind of stuff... This, this is what's being talked about here in the text, the pagan praying. Now, here's one. Now, watch the theology in this one. This is called the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Uh, he descended to hell, at least it's in the Apostles' Creed. The third day rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, meaning uh, universal church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's pretty good theology in there. But you know what? I have a friend, very close friend, one of my dear friends. sent me a text on Saturday morning. He goes, George, uh, what are you going through right now? Give me, give me a prayer request, just one that I can pray for you. So I called him up. We, we prayed together. He, he grew up in a, in a church that prayed the Apostles' Creed every Sunday morning. And he said, you know what? It's like a mantra. I had no idea what that thing meant. I, I just went through, so while we're looking around, you can have good theology, but you better understand what it's saying, and you better believe upon Jesus Christ. This, this can't be just a mantra I say that I do uh, when I go uh, to a service. And now that God has opened his heart, now that he is a pastor and preached longer than I have, he understands the importance of uh, of. Uh, having a true heart. So that brings us down to the Lord's Prayer itself. So don't be like them. Don't think you're going to be heard for your many words. And it doesn't mean you can't use many words. It says don't think 
because long extended time that that's why you're going to be heard. You're going to be heard because of the great high priest in heaven who says, Come, come to me, Hebrews 4. I'm giving you a throne of mercy and grace, and you come to me in time of need, and I will hear your prayers. That's our assurance. So, I put it up here. It, it's really in this manner. It starts out this way. Pray then like this. That's a Greek adverb, hutos. It means in, in, in this kind of manner. It means this is a pattern prayer. It doesn't mean you have to use exactly these words. It means this should be a guide to our praying. And when you look at that, the first part of the request are theocentric. It's God-honoring. We're praying for the honor of God. And then secondly, then we come down and pray for our concerns. So, many of you have, have memorized this, but what, just pray it along with me here. I put it on the screen, and then in a few remaining minutes, I will try and unflesh a little bit of this, unpack it, and then we'll come back and finish it, Lord willing, next week. So, Join me. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the last part of that is not in every manuscript, but uh, um, I, I put that part on there. So when, when we break this down, this is to be a pattern for our prayer, praying, and it's a correction. You want to pray rightly? You want to know that God will hear your prayers? It gives us the priorities first in verses 9 and 10. His name to be honored, His kingdom to come, His will to be done. And then we turn around and talk about provisions that, that we need, um, they're daily, nothing wrong with praying for your physical sustenance, I don't, I don't have a concern, my wife makes great bread, we got, we got several <laughs> loaves in there, so, but I, I, I do pray and thank God for the strength to still work and, and, and provide food on the table, and some people are out of work. So you, you pray for those needs, and we try and help those who are legitimately out of work, not lazy. Um, uh, so that's a true, and then, and then we pray for pardon. We pray for pardon. And it'll, uh, the caution is at the end is, if you don't forgive other people their sins, guess what? If you have an unforgiving attitude, you ought to ask yourself, do you really know God? Do you really understand how much you have been forgiven? How, how many times have you sinned in your life? <laughs> Jerry can count them. I can't. Um, yeah. Um, I, at, at times, some egregious sins that I've committed will come back to my memory. And 
I pray that great prayer found in the Psalms. Oh, God, remember not the sins of my youth. Um, he's forgiven me, but the foolishness, it's like they're tattooed upon my heart in terms of bad patterns of thinking and behavior. Lord, help me to engage in mind renewal and, and to forgive others. And then we pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation. No, Jesus was led into temptation by the Holy Spirit. But you don't want to go into that temptation. You're going you're gonna to fail. I will fail. And protect us from, and the word there doesn't simply mean evil. It could, but I take it it's the evil one. Protect us from Satan. So here we go. Um, wow. Let me at least deal with these first three requests in general. Starts with the person to whom we are praying, our Father. It's a term of intimacy. And I'm reminded that he's in heaven. I still remember, I think his name was Sergei Nigmatov. I asked my wife if she remembered his name. She couldn't, so I'm kind of doing it, and he'll forgive me when we get to heaven if I didn't pronounce it correctly. Um, uh, Ramesh Richard has the Global Proclamation Academy and tries to bring people here from third world uh, countries that do not have the privileges that I've had, that many people have had. I, I look all the books on my shelves, the, the number of, of translations of the Bible. I got it in Greek and Hebrew and in Latin. I have it in German. I have it in French. And some people around the world don't, don't, they don't, not only don't have that, but they don't have any training. And so what he tries to do is bring people here for two weeks um, and give them some basic training in terms of context, how to, how to look at, read, uh, preach the Scriptures. And so on that weekend, um, they have asked people to have them in, in their homes. And some of you have done that. Some of you remember some of those uh, 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 people that you've had. Um, we had Mr. Nignatov uh, from Tajikistan. And why this remembers me, er, I remember our Father who is in heaven. Not all of us have had a good Father. Um, if you've had a good godly Father, you, you ought to be thankful. That's the godly pattern that, that we want in Scripture. But uh, Tajikistan is about 98% Muslim. And so he said his father just had one wife at the time, and she decided, he decided she wanted to have two. And so he's going to add another, and she goes, no, you're not. For a Muslim woman to tell her husband you're not adding another woman? You know what he did? He booted her out. And he booted out the two kids with her. And 
it's a low economy to begin with, and so she's scrambling, try to have work and provide for her family. And so uh, there, was, there was a work there. They didn't tell them they were missionaries, but they had a camp, and they invited uh, the kids for two weeks. And she thought, man, if they're going to feed them for two weeks... <laughs> <laughs> At least they're provided for. And when they got there, they found out that it was Christian. He said, I told my brother, don't believe them. Eat their food, but don't believe them. And then he said, they started talking about the Father in heaven and what kind of father he is and what kind of father I didn't have. And he said it was like a magnet that, that drew me to that teaching. And I believed upon Christ. And I went back, and they had a whole clan gathering to try and cleanse me of that, of that thinking. But it didn't work because it was true work of grace in his heart. So I read this, Our Father who is in heaven. What am I praying for here? Set apart be your name. Let your name be treated as holy. And you know what that requires? Then I better do it. If I'm praying that others would be treat his name as holy, how do I take sin in my own life? How do I take these admonitions for forgiving, for, for prayer, for being serious about spiritual issues? Your kingdom come. Now, I am what's called uh, already not yet view of the kingdom. And if you haven't heard that, it's like other areas of theology. I believe that the kingdom has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. And every person who believes upon them, they're in his kingdom. Paul talks about that in Colossians. You've transferred us out of the kingdom, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of your own dear son. But there is coming a day when he is going to return, and the kingdom will be consummated in terms of those Old Testament prophecies. So we pray, your kingdom come. It's both present and future. And so when I'm praying about the kingdom come, how should I pray for it? Wow, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is the will of God done in heaven? I'd say it's pretty good. <laughs> I'd say it's perfect. So, that, and some say, well, that's never going to happen on planet earth. I say, look at it this way I'm to love my wife as Christ has loved the church. I don't say I've arrived. If some of you men have arrived, then you're way ahead of me. The standard is pretty high. How about ladies? Do you uh, submit to your, your husbands with perfect, full, godly submission whenever there's a little bit rife of contention? So that's the standard. So the standard here is as, as it is in heaven. So we're striving towards that now. And one day... It will be fully consummated when he returns. Now I'm going to conclude this way. Do you know there is nothing in here about uh, all the requests that are otherwise in Scripture 
about uh, praying for personal needs, family. You know, and one person has told me, I don't pray for others' salvation because I don't see that in the Scripture. And I go, wow. Um, so here's how I pray. And I pray for you. I start with myself. Guard your own heart. Guard your own heart. Start with yourself. Lord, would you help me to guard my own heart? And I know how I guard my own heart. I have to run Scripture through me. I have to keep increasing my understanding of Scripture. I need to get rid of this subjectivism on all these impressions and come down on the rock. And so I pray for you to guard, guard your own heart. And then it's, next I shift to the family. And so I pray, I pray for you for, for families. Men, be godly leaders in, in your home. Um, 1 Peter 3, 7. Live with your wives in an understanding way, giving honor to the weaker vessel, but as being equal heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. If you don't treat your wife and, and love her in a godly way, you, your, your prayers aren't going anywhere other than there. So I pray for our families. I, I pray that men will shepherd uh, the hearts of their family, and that women will be godly compliments. We teach complementarianism here, not egalitarianism, namely that there are differences of roles, but there's equality in Jesus Christ. And then I pray that you'll shepherd the hearts of your children. For us, and now um, I, I still have, have sons and daughter-in-laws, but in particular now we pray for their, our grandchildren that they would come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then I pray that we will be good servants in the local church. And then I pray that wherever, whatever God has called you to do, that you will understand with great clarity the gospel. And you'll have boldness to proclaim it to others. And then you'll live lives worthy of the gospel. That, it's, all, it's all there in those first three of the Lord's Prayer. I go back to this. In Luke, the version there, an abbreviated of the Lord's Prayer, it came from this. The disciples saw Jesus praying. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray, teach us to pray. And so, as you, as you look at this prayer, as an example for our praying, pray in your heart. You may have it memorized, but this is an example, and we should be crying out, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray for the glory of God.